Hey guys, Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining us here on FCC Online. We are truly thankful and appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to our messages. One thing that I do want to encourage you to do is as you're watching these, please don't allow these to be your primary resource in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus. Keep these as a supplement to what you do on a weekly basis from the gathering, uh, being connected, being part of a life of a local church body. We want these to bless you. We want these messages and these videos to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But please do not allow these to replace anything that you have to do with a local church body. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be reading the first seven verses this morning, kind of, you know, talking about all of it, but really um, focusing in on the first seven verses. We're going to be talking today about better promises. Better promises. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Uh, we, um, I, I've kind of spent this week kind of all over the place in my message prep. You know, as, as trying to prepare for this, trying to get ready, trying to boil this and kind of funnel this down to a main theme, uh, a place that we can look and say, okay, what was the writer of Hebrews uh, talking about primarily here? And, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And I had a really tough time because I felt like I was going in about 50 different directions and I was going to anticipate, you know, just staying in those 50 different directions. And then there, I, I, you know, part of the staff took a picture of me this week as I was talking about and explaining to him where I was going to go. And once I saw the picture, I thought I may want to rethink this just a little bit, take a new approach. Here's the picture uh, as I was trying to explain to him uh, exactly where I was going to be going and what I was going to be doing with the whole message. So I thought, you know, seeing that, I figure may want to rein this in just a little bit. So we're going to be talking about better promises out of Hebrews chapter 8. So, um, you know, obviously I uh, covet your prayers this morning as nobody wants to be in here in well into the afternoon time listening to me. So let's go ahead and let's read the first seven verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with people, he said through Jeremiah, and he will come to that here in just a few moments, this passage of where he quotes Jeremiah. So a few things I want to highlight out of this passage before we get really kind of deep into uh, expositing it here 
and, and trying to pull out some practical application for ourselves is a little bit of the history into this book of Hebrews, which we've covered throughout this year that we've been looking at it. I want to remind you that this letter is being written to Jewish converts to Christianity, primarily. So they've got a deep-seated history and tradition and a lifetime full of following in the Old Covenant, in the Jewish ways. And what's happening is they're beginning to be persecuted, they're beginning to be mocked, and, and they're facing some difficult times because of this newfound belief that they have in the Messiah being Jesus Christ. So they are facing this temptation to turn back to their old way of living, into their old belief system, because it would be easier for them. It would be simpler for them. Life may not be as difficult for them if they were to just go back to what they believed beforehand. There's a couple statements in here that would have really stood out and made an impact to someone who would have a history in their lives with Judaism. So the first one is, is that Jesus, our high priest, has been, he has been seated at the right hand of the Father. Like he sat down. This would have been a total totally foreign concept to the Jewish believers because their history would have told them that in the Old Testament in the Old Covenant temple tabernacle times that Moses established the high priest would have never been seated while he was doing ministry while it was his turn in the rotation there was not a seat one to be found in the tabernacle or the temple signifying that the work of the high priest was never done like there was not a place to be seated because if you were sitting down, that meant you had nothing to do. But in the old covenant, there was always something to be done. There was always work to be done. It was like for, for youth group and camp people in here, this was like the ultimate game of nine square. Okay, if you're familiar with nine square, that could be like the never ending game. All right, there's like no clear winner. If you're in the middle spot, then you are the best of the best. But guess what? At some point, you're going out of there and you're just going to the back of the line. And that's kind of like the rotation that the priests were in. It's like, hey man, when that time card was ready to be punched to, hey, my shift is over, I'm just going to go to the back of the line because we're going to rotate through. It was a never-ending project. Okay, modern day example. Picture I-64 from exit 1 to exit 20 in West Virginia. It's funny because it's true. Like, I am 45 years old, guys. There has not been a year in my life that I can remember there not being a portion of that 20-mile stretch being under construction. It's like, okay, we got this section. Let's just circle back around and start again. And that was the concept. It was like, he sat down. What do you mean Christ sat down? Why would he sit down? Because at the very end of his ordeal on the cross, he made the statement, it is finished. So Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, constantly, we talked about last week, making intercession on our behalf, but the work is done. But now these Hebrew converts to Christianity, they're facing, I mean, in a way it's mockery on some level. I mean, basically they've gone back to third grade. 
Because what the Jews of the time were basically doing is they're saying na 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 boo boo. You can look that up in the, in the Greek. It's, it's accurate. It's accurate. But what they're saying is like, you don't even have a temple. What do you mean that your high priest is seated? You don't even have a high priest. Go to the front of the line. There's no dude up there that's walking, leading the way. Like you talk about this Jesus guy. Where is he? He's not visible. He's not here. My dad can beat up your dad because he's not here. And the writer begins to systematically at the beginning and all the way through, and he's still continuing to do it, he is systematically breaking down the arguments and the resistance and the mockery that's coming towards Christ's followers. And now he's really hitting a pinnacle. I mean, he's already talked about Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than any of the high priests. He's greater than Levi. He's greater than Aaron. He, I mean, so he's like building, and now the writer gets to this place he says, Jesus has ushered in a greater covenant. Again, that would have been heresy to the Jewish people of the day. Because that's one thing you don't mess with. You don't mess with the Old Testament. You don't mess with the covenant that God made with Moses on Sinai. But the writer is saying, listen, it's just everything that you followed your entire life, all of your history as a Jewish believer, it was just a shadow. It was inferior. God gave Moses all of these instructions on how to construct what's happening in heaven and what it looks like there. He gave them the instruction on the mountain to build it here. But guess what? Even in that, it was flawed. And he, the, the writer's saying that because you believe in Jesus Christ, not only do you believe in something that's a better covenant, but there's better promises. And I look back into like the, the Old Testament and some of the promises that God made in there, they're pretty stinking awesome. Like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, a plans for you to prosper and to flourish. I mean, it's littered with all of these promises that are amazing in their nature. But then God says, listen, you got better promises because of my son. There is a new covenant that's written in his blood that he shed on Calvary. And they, it is far and vastly superior than what was. And if, if I were to try to, to summarize in a statement the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, and, and some of you may have heard this, is like in the old covenant, what was required of us is that if God were on a mountain, then we have to climb to the mountain to get to God. And we can only climb through our obedience, through our good works, through following the law, through following the rules. And every time that we would break one of the rules or we would stump our toe in sin, then we would come right back down to the bottom. And listen, I'm dating myself. Some of y'all are going to appreciate this. I see the price is right game with the guy trying to climb the mountain. Like, but the Old Testament required the individual, God's creation, like, you be good enough to climb the mountain to get to me. Here's 10 life hacks that you can follow that I'm going to help you. You do these 10, you're at the top of the mountain, man. And no one was able to keep all 10 of them. Like, not even the easiest ones. And let's not get too judgy about the Old Testament people because we can't keep them either. Even the easier ones. 
But the New Testament, instead of God saying, you need to climb the mountain to get to me, God came down the mountain to us. And no longer is a relationship with God built on our ability to follow the rules and stay close to Him. It's His ability and His blood and His sacrifice. Last week we talked about He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or could ever imagine. So the difference in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is that Old Covenant was law-driven, was obedience-driven to where it was saying, like, you've got to do this in order to earn your way into the presence of God. The New Covenant says, I'm coming to you because there's no way that you can do it, so I'm coming to you. And that's something that we should celebrate each and every moment of our existence being a Christian. Because there is nothing that I can do that's ever going to qualify me. I'm never going to make that mountain. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to follow the rules enough. I'm never going to be obedient enough. And a real key factor here is, is we're, we're going to see one of these greater promises here in just a little bit. Like there is there's a thought and a movement of kind of like hyper grace because the new covenant is established on God's grace for us all. You, you realize that without God's grace, none of us would be seated here this morning, right? Like none of us, absent of God's grace, would be here right now. But they've taken it and they've said that if it's God's grace, then there's no need for obedience. Like the law, the old covenant was law-driven, obedience-driven. And okay, well, there's grace for that now. So we just get to do what we want because of God's grace. We're okay. I think Paul would say otherwise. In the book of Romans, I mean, like Paul even faced this problem in the first five chapters. He's making such an amazing case for God's grace. He's just like, I better clarify myself because it sounds like I'm actually telling people that they should sin more so that they could experience more of God's grace. And starting in Romans chapter 6, he says, so what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that God's grace may abound all the more? He says, certainly not. Absolutely not. But we've got this high priest that is seated making intercession on our behalf. And when we begin to look at the, the, the two different covenants, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. Listen, it's really easy for us to look at the Old Covenant and just kind of write it off. Talk about how bad it was. How uh, just unfair that it was. Because nobody can, you know, it's not about obedience anymore. It's not about the law anymore. Be careful because I think Jesus would disagree with you on that one. Because in John 14, he says that if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, obedience is still critical in the life of a believer. What's changed is the motive behind the obedience. Like in the old covenant, the motive behind the obedience is I don't want to be struck dead. Like, right? It's like I am trying to get up to the mountain to God. That's, it was all about us. In the new covenant, our obedience is driven out of the motive of loving Him. And that's a huge difference for us. When looking at the two covenants, we've got to be really careful because it could be very easy for us to villainize the old covenant. And there was a, pur there was a purpose for it. 
And there was a purpose for the Old Covenant. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Let's start by reading verse 19 out of chapter 3. Why then was the law given? This is the Old Testament. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's laws and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to boil this down into a couple pictures and kind of give you a statement here. So all the medical professionals in here, I'm going to put you on the spot. We got a couple pictures and I want you to tell me what they are. Here's the first one. What's that? It's an x-ray machine, right? Yes, thank you. It is an x-ray machine. It's not a trick question. Next slide. What is it? It's an MRI, right? These two machines are both designed to do one thing, to scan and to show you what's going on inside. If there's a broken bone, if there's a growth, if there's an abnormality, if there's something going on in there that shouldn't be going on, something happening, something growing that shouldn't be growing, these machines help to reveal that. When was the last time you went and you had an x-ray or an MRI, and then the x-ray machine or the MRI actually gave you a course of action, said, hey, this is going to be the treatment plan we have for you? Like none, right? Like if there was something revealed by one of these two machines in your life, and then all of a sudden you were, you know, whatever, through treatment, however, that you didn't have this promise or problem anymore. Like I had a problem, this machine revealed it, I don't have the problem anymore. How many of you have ever hugged an x-ray or an MRI machine? If you do, let's talk after service, okay? If you, if you have a history of that, let's talk after service. But no, those machines are designed to reveal something that's wrong with you. They have absolutely no power whatsoever to remedy that. That is done through your physicians, through your healthcare providers. Like, listen, I have seen people be so moved upon a diagnosis and then a treatment and then the treatment being successful that they have jumped up in the middle of a doctor's office and ran and hugged the doctor or the people that helped them in that. They didn't go to the machine and say, oh, thank you, machine. You saved my life. See, if I were to break down what Galatians 3 just said there, that the law, the old covenant, can only reveal sin in your life. It can't do anything about it. It's what the law does. It's like, oh, I don't have any sin in my life. Well, how are you doing on that not being angry thing? Oh, well, look, sin in my life. But there's nothing that can be done about it. The new covenant, God's grace through Jesus Christ, 
not only serves to reveal the sin in your life, but actually imparts the grace for you to do something about it. It not only reveals to you the problem, it provides you with the remedy. And that's good news, that we live under this new covenant. And then we have this thing to where we're just like, if you think it's easier, if you think we're kind of off the hook, I would remind you that Jesus, his blood, his new covenant, this new grace that we're experiencing actually holds you more accountable than what the old covenant ever could. Because Jesus said, have you not heard it said that you shall, you know, you, you shall not murder? Then he says, but I say to you that if you look upon someone with anger or hate in your heart, then you're guilty of murdering them. What? You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say that if you look upon someone with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Whoa. Whoa, Jesus. You came to set us free. Remember, you see, he followed that by like, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, grace, this new covenant is an awesome, awesome thing in our life because it not only reveals to us what's wrong with us, but it also provides us the remedy. But it increases our accountability also because we can't sit back and just go, oh, didn't know I shouldn't do that. So the thing that I kind of got hung up on just a little bit this week, again, was these better promises. Like you have a God who, who came and showed himself. And, and basically Moses saw, you know, the, the, the backside of God, kind of like the hem of his garment kind of thing, the back, the back end of God. And that was enough to change his countenance so much that he had to veil his face when he came down from the mountain because his face was shining. And it was starting to wig the people out. And he had to put a veil on it. So let's be careful when we're talking about the Old Covenant or the way we're viewing it because God's glory was in the Old Covenant. Like so much so that it changed the countenance of a person. Like physically transformed them by the amount of glory that was in that. But then Paul says, if that covenant that was inferior, that was flawed, that wasn't perfect, that was only driven by death, a covenant that was written on tablets of stone, how much more glory is in this new covenant that's written on your hearts? that is perfect, that is full of grace, that is full of mercy, that is full of forgiveness. How much greater is this new covenant than the former? Whenever I think of better promises, and this is where the rabbit trail really started to go, <laughs> well, kind of off the rails for me this week, because I thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant, and we're, we're going to lay out all of these, and I realize that there is no way that I could do this. You all would need to be like the boy, the sack lunch, who Jesus you know, multiplied to feed everyone. So basically, if, if I decided to follow this path, and you had a Lunchable here today, we would pray over it, and hopefully it fed everyone in here by the time we got done. 
But I want us to look at a couple things that I would consider better promises. And the first is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. And everybody say all? All. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our own sinful nature. But our very nature, we, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God. Two of the most powerful words in Scripture. But God. Is so rich in mercy. And He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to all, to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for any of this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's a better promise. A better promise is, is you don't have to wait for a sin-filled person to enter into the presence of God once a year to make atonement for your sins on your behalf. You don't have to bank on someone like me having everything just right enough to be able to go into the presence of God and say, God, please forgive all of these people for their sins this past year. We don't have to depend on someone else to go to God on our behalf because God has taken us from death to life and the vehicle that gets us there now is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon you to try to make intercession for one another. It is through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, His life, His death, his burial, his resurrection, and the fact that he lived as a sinless man, offered as a sacrifice for you and I, that I can stand here and boldly proclaim that even though I am not worthy of anything Christ has done, I am not qualified for any blessing that he has through Christ Jesus, I have been taken from death and I'm now alive. I now once was lost in my sin. I was bound for an eternity, separated from God in hell. But now, because of Jesus Christ, I am destined for an eternity, spending it in his presence. Not by anything that I've done. 
Not by anything that I've done in my past. Not by anything I'm doing in the present. Not by anything I might do in the future that would qualify me. But I look to one place. And that's when I set my eyes towards Calvary. And I look back and I say, there is what qualifies me. And it's the same with each and every one of you. This this is going to be a test of really what you think of your pastor, okay? How many of you would be comfortable placing your eternity in my hands? Right? I don't trust my eternity in my hands. I can't even figure Ben out, much less figure y'all out. But see, that was what the old covenant did. It's like there's this one dude that once a year... He's going to get himself together, hopefully, in three days' time. And he's going to go in there and successfully intercede on our behalf through the blood of a sacrifice. And hopefully, our sins will be forgiven. Don't take this personally, but I am so glad my hope is not in any of y'all. I really am. I'm so glad, let me take that another, I'm so glad that my hope is not in me. Because listen, if I'm a smart man and should have an honorary PhD in anything, it's how to mess things up. But praise God, we don't have to, we don't have to bank on that any longer. Because we have a high priest that has atoned for our sin that is now seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession on our behalf. As Paul says, that I would, children, that you do not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And His name is Jesus Christ. Let's go to the second better promise. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start reading in verse 31. What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Does that encourage your heart this morning? Because it should. If God is for you, who could ever be against you? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself is giving us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? Because as the scriptures say, for your sake, we were killed every day. We were being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. 
I am now convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can somebody give me a hearty amen in here because of that passage? Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nothing in your future. Because His love is perfect. Nothing can separate us from that. And if we go back to our original passage out of Hebrews chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, just let me read this. This is the passage from Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah not the most cheerful dude you'd ever meet. Okay, he's called the weeping prophet for a reason. He went through a lot of stuff in his lifetime. He saw the people of God go through a lot of stuff in his lifetime. He saw the captivity. He saw the isolation. He saw the persecution that God's people were going through. Yet this weeping prophet pins this. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would to come back up as I read this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will create them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. Verse 12 and I will forgive their wickedness and I will again no longer hold against them their sins. That's the better promise of the new covenant that you and I live in.